What happens when your worst fear becomes your reality? Hi, I'm Brent Cassidy. Welcome to the Nightmare Success In and Out podcast, where we explore how to overcome your fears and nightmares and set yourself free. We're going to be exploring this topic with guys that was in Leavenworth with and others who survived their own nightmare. These stories can be inspiring, sometimes sad. There's some humor, but hopefully you can come away with a nugget of something that'll help you knock down some of the prisons you built up in your own mind. All right, Nightmare Success, in and out listeners, we're back. And uh, this is where you guys come for uh, what happens when your worst fear becomes your reality. How do you adapt, survive, overcome, break free? So I've got a, uh, I got a great guest here today. And uh, in fact, I had Rick Gray on a few episodes ago for those playing the board game. And this is his partner in Constructing Futures. And if you remember, they are guys that are uh, taking guys um, – and giving them the opportunity to work on renovating houses and really giving and learning a trade. All guys out of prison. And uh, Mike has a uh, really interesting story of uh, car chases, on the run, finally getting, you know, into a seven-year prison sentence. And um, and then he's he's been out for 10 years. He's doing great stuff. So I can't wait to get into that. But first, I want to get into our uh, sponsor, for the show, Auto Plaza Direct, I actually got to do some business with Auto Plaza Direct. Um, I guess it was last week, two weeks ago. And uh, Don Davis, he actually got me what I was looking for. I didn't think the thing could get done, but he got it done, uh, I think, in the way that only he can. So I was really happy with that. So who likes going and spending a couple of weekends, walking lots, looking for a car, then you you find it, and you got to spend four or five hours in the dealership to buy a car. Well, it's kind of like going to a trip to the dentist. I don't think anybody likes that. But there's a better way. Take away all your pain and hassle of getting a car. It's called Auto Plaza Direct. They are your personal car concierge. Just tell them the car you want, what you can pay, and they'll go find that car for you. They'll negotiate your best price, and they'll deliver that car to you. They also offer you warranties and financing. It's full service. Go to autoplazadirect.com to get started with your personal car concierge. The new hassle-free way, the car buying experience you deserve, Auto Plaza Direct. Tell them Brent from Nightmare Success sent you. And, you know, if anybody likes just a piece of something out of this show, share it. That's a big deal. Makes it to where the show keeps going on. All right. Mike Flaherty, welcome. Thanks for coming over here today. Thanks for having me, Brent. So, Mike, we were just talking about, um, you've got a in really interesting story of all the different things you've been through. Can, can you take us back a little bit? Because we were just talking about your family and your siblings and that. What was life like for you as a kid growing up here? I'm assuming it was St. Louis. Is that right? Yeah, I grew up in uh, St. Louis. Uh, pretty normal childhood. Um, you know, got an uh, older sister, older brother, a twin sister. Um, we were all very pretty tight growing up. Um, my father was kind of in and out. He was an alcoholic. Uh, at times, he was kind of abusive, but my mom kind of held the whole family together. Uh, she was kind of the glue of the family. And How was that for you, though, as a kid with that type of environment, with your dad kind of being in and out, kind of being abusive? Was it something where the kids kind of all banded together? Was it 
Like, how did that how did that affect you growing up? Yeah, my dad was kind of hard. He was harder on me than the rest of my siblings. Yeah. Uh, I, my twin sister and I were the youngest. Okay. So, uh, my dad had high hopes for me. I was pretty good at sports. Um, so he had he was he kind of pushed me. Would you hard. like to play in sports? I played baseball, basketball, football. Did, did it all. Did it all. Yeah. Played golf, tennis. You name it. Anything that you could get. Okay. Yeah. My dad coached yeah. some of my little league teams. Um, but it was always a crapshoot. I mean, you didn't know how much he was going to have to drink. Yeah. There was, I can. You didn't know which guy was going to show up. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there was. A That's time, a lot of pressure as a kid. Absolutely. Um, there was a time I was 11 or 12 in a little league baseball game. And I struck out three times. And my, my dad actually pulled me off the field middle of the game so yeah okay yeah so yeah he pulled me off the field in the middle of the game in front of the, all the parents and you know all the other coaches teams it was pretty embarrassing so yeah my dad and what was your mom's reaction to all that kind of stuff my mom was i think she was just kind of subservient to my dad yeah you know she was you know from a little old school yeah. Yeah, they got married uh, when they were 18. Yeah, so they were young. And my mom never worked. Um, but, uh, you know, she took care of the house and the kids. Yeah. It was kind of her role. So she was the, tried to be the peacemaker. Yeah. So. Well, as you got older, Mike, uh, getting into your high school years, did things um, change or did they all kind of stay the same type of uh, cycle? It changed uh, when I got bigger. Yeah. Stronger. Yeah. You know, my dad pushed me around a lot uh, when I was growing up. He was kind of abusive physically, verbally. Um, and I think when I hit about 16, you know, I was playing sports, working out every day. Um, I just had enough. And me and me and the old man kind of went out in the front yard, and, and I said, all right, let's go. It's go time. And uh, after that, he kind of left me alone. So yeah, things were different after that. Things changed after that. That's interesting. Right. It's like I, I can't I can't have my way this way with him. He's he's too big. Exactly. So I stood up for myself and I never you know, I was never able to. How'd that so feel? It felt kinda it felt pretty good. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. And you were good. sixteen at the time. Sixteen. Yeah. yeah. So uh you get out of high school, what do you do after that? I went to college. Yeah. Um uh, that was just a. That's kind of when I got wild. Okay, that was um, your wild times. This is this is the introduction to wild. Yeah, I mean high school. You know, I experimented. Yeah. With, with drugs and alcohol, um, but you know, high, college it got pretty bad. Where'd you go? I went to uh, the University of South Florida. Yeah. So you're year. down in Florida. Yeah, and lasted there a year, and came back to uh, Southwest Missouri State, yeah. which is now Missouri State. Yeah. My old man went there. He played basketball there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And now, uh, yeah, so I bounced around. I, I, I didn't take school very serious, but, uh, I mean, I was more into the extracurricular. Which a lot of kids are. Yes. Not yeah. unusual. It's going on. And that's when I started to get in trouble. You know, I got my first DWI as a freshman in, in college. That's That can be a game changer, too, because, you know, a lot of kids – at that time are just lucky they didn't get caught right. in that type of deal. But a DWI when you're that young is very, 
No, it's serious. Yeah, it was for my first taste of jail. Yeah. It got my attention for a little while. Scared you? Scared me. Yeah. You know, at first, and so the heat kind of, you know, blew over. Uh, got slapped on the wrist. It was my first offense. And then, you know, I kind of forgot about it quickly, you know. So where did you go from – You uh, did you do all four years or three years there at, at – yeah, uh, Southwest Missouri. Yeah, and then no, I did the I did the two years, and then I came back and finished up in Mizzou. Oh, you you finished up in Mizzou. Okay, yes. so you did a little bit of oh, you did a little jumping around here. Okay, right. well, Mizzou's my place. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> for those down in Costa Rica, you have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> Maybe you know a South Florida, but not Missouri State or Mizzou. <laughs> we love our listeners in Costa Rica, uh, so. So you finish up at Mizzou. Yeah. So where does Mike go from there? I got a job um, with, a, with a home builder. Okay. Kind of explains this constructing futures thing a little bit. Yeah. I actually wasn't swinging the hammer back then. I was selling houses. Okay. So I got a job with a company called Rawls Homes. Greg Rawls? Uh, no, Larry. Okay. The older, the older Rawls. Yeah. Uh, worked for those guys for a while. Then I, I joined up with a company called Mayor Homes. Yeah. And I was there a long time. With Randy Mayer? Is that? Randy. Yeah. Randy, yeah. Yep. Randy I know. and Dick. Yeah. Randy and Dick. Um, and those were those were some wild days, you know. Um, I My work was good. You know, I was successful. You know, I made really good money. Uh, but the party, And you would have been pretty young, right? Yeah, I was in my early 20s. And you were having success yeah. in the real estate world. Yeah. Construction. Construction. The new homes were booming. Yeah. I mean, there was a few developments I went to where, you know, you just basically taking orders. You know? This would have been in the 90s? This is late 90s, early 2000s. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So so finished up. Uh, I, my tenure at Mayor Homes came to an end. Um, then I worked for, you know, several different developers, uh, a company called Highland Homes, which is no longer around. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I was mainly in real estate. You know, that's that's what I did: uh, project management, real estate sales, you know, construction. So, so, did you were you living a normal life, Mike, or did, were were you walking the wild side at night and going to work in the daytime? What was your what was your world uh, like? Yeah, I wasn't. I wouldn't call it normal. Um, I love to partake in the nightlife. Um, I mean. Some days, I don't know how I went to work. And you're making money, so it was probably easy to partake in the nightlife. Yeah, the money was, was plentiful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, trips to Vegas, uh, you know, weekend getaways to Miami, and going out all the time, way too much. Mm-hmm. You know? Some, I mean, I hate to admit it, but, I mean, some nights I wouldn't go to sleep. Yeah. You know, I go straight to work. You know, I come home for a quick shower, and, uh, yeah, I was living that kind of lifestyle. So did you feel like that you had, because you, you, you were dabbling in a lot of different things, um, drinking and drugs, did you feel like that it was just normal party stuff, or did you think possibly I have an issue? Um, I, I mean, in the beginning, I thought it was just fun. You know, that's what everybody does. Yeah. You know, but, uh, yeah, it became a problem because I continued to get into trouble. Yeah. Um, 
So what know, kind of trouble were you getting into? I had a few more DWIs, you know, in that, that time period. Yeah. I got caught with drugs, drug possession. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a stretch of time in my adult life, uh, in my 20s, all the way up to, you know, early 30s, until I got incarcerated. Uh, I was on probation or parole for 10, just 10 plus cons- years. Yeah. Just consistently going through. Right, and I was making enough money to afford, you know, good attorneys and yeah, you know, I used Travis Noble, and yeah, Scott Rosenblum, yeah. I, I was able to stay out of jail. Uh huh. So I think I was probably living in denial, thinking that you know I can if I get caught I can survive this and get to the right. next step and it won't be that big a deal. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, walk me through. Because you were you were describing for me that when your night your big nightmare happened, it was quite a deal. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> can you can you walk us through that? Well, I I went out. Uh, it was a Friday night, and I went out with my girlfriend at the time and a couple other friends. It was like any other night. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was on the run, you know. So I was you know kind of low key. Meaning on the run that you had a warrant out for I you? I had a felony warrant out okay. for my arrest. They were looking for you. They were looking for me, but they couldn't find me, uh-huh. you know, for probably over seven, eight months. Mm. That's quite a while. Yeah, it was, it was, I was always turning my, my back. I mean, always looking. I'd see a cop, I would freeze, you know. It, it, it was not a very It doesn't good way sound to like live. a good way to live for seven or eight months no, on it, the run. It was not. Uh, so what, actually when I got caught, it was kind of a sense of relief, you know, but then that's when the journey started. So I left the house, you know, like any other night, um, we're out at the clubs, bars, it, it's probably two o'clock in the morning. I'm heading down Manchester road and someone in the back seat, uh, a friend threw out a bottle and mm. I saw the sirens and I saw the lights, heard the sirens. And I told everybody in the car, you better buckle up. I'm not stopping. Onto a car chase. I, I knew if I stopped, I was going to jail, mm-hmm. you know. So I was going to do everything in my power to not go to jail that night. And I did. Um, th- I took him on a three or four mile through subdivisions, going through people's yards. I was, oh, man. I was loaded, you know, very intoxicated. I was high on cocaine, alcohol. I mean. You're lucky I'll, he didn't die. Everybody uh, else didn't die in the car. Yeah, I'm very lucky. So. I got to the point where I got to the end of this subdivision and I was out of real estate. So I jumped out of the car and took off. I'm running. I remember I'm running down a hill and I slid. I had like loafers on. It was, you know, yeah. the grass was wet. Not built for running. No. no. <laughs> so I, I jump up and there's a cop right there. Oh boy. Right in my face. And I turn around and I hit him with a forearm. And uh, by that point, I, I knew I made a big, huge big mistake. mistake. Yeah. And there was two or three other police officers on the scene by then. And I just remember getting tased and, and beaten, you know, <laughs> for a while, for a while. Yeah. What's it, what's a tase feel like? Uh, it feels like the worst electric shock of your life. <laughs> and you're just basically, did you just fall down when you get paralyzed or when you get tas- tasered? I mean, I, I've always seen it and it looks like, you know, it looks horrible. I think I was so loaded. Um, you didn't even. It took two or three times. Yeah. But that, that it hurt. Yeah. You know, and it froze me. Mm-hmm. But I, I pulled the darts out of the first one, and then 
I got hit a couple more times and went down like a sack of potatoes. Wow. So even though that you were pretty loaded, they handcuff you, they've beaten you, you've been on a car chase, I'm sure your adrenaline was like on, you know, a thousand plus. When you get put in the back of that car, what's running through your mind? That kind of my life was over. Yeah. You know, I'm like, I'm going to be gone forever. Yeah. That's the initial thought, you know, because I knew I had some serious charges. So they take me in, and um, I spent the night. They took me in St. Louis County. I spent the night in jail, woke up the next morning. Then the nightmare really started. You know, I knew I was stuck. No bond, mm. not, not even a chance to get out. Um, I was, like I said, I was on felony probation. Mm-hmm. They revoked my probation when they heard about the incident. Right. So I knew I wasn't going anywhere. Yeah, no so, bond. So you, um, what are, what are your next steps on this? Because I'm I'm thinking that you were familiar with attorneys, so you you get locked in with an attorney and say, "Hey, I've got some really bad news." Yeah, um, I had to call an attorney. Travis came up, um, and he said, "Boy, you screwed up." And it's pretty scary when a, a, an attorney tells you that. Yeah, yeah, says you're you're in trouble. Mm-hmm said you're gonna have to do some time and I kind of knew that but uh, I think the first uh, the first offer he the charges were I mean they charged me with six or seven felonies mm-hmm. you know and I already been convicted of three other felonies right um, so yeah they the I think the first amount of charges equaled like 35 years Wow he came to see me he's like yeah he said they offered 35. I That's said, a lot. And how, old, and how old would you have been at that time? Oh, I was. By when you're offering you 35 years? I was 30. I, I was actually, let's see. Around 30 years 10, old? I've been out for 10 years. So I was around 30, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So you swallow that. And so I guess, uh, did you do a plea bargain? Just continue to do? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Bargaining of, of with Travis and the prosecutor? Yeah, we uh, went back and forth. I was in St. Louis County for nine months. That's a long time. Yeah, so, you know, they I would I, went, I probably went to court 30 times. And your parents and your siblings, what, what's going on on the outside of this? Um, yeah, I mean, my they were sick. Yeah. You know, disappointed. You know, they, they didn't want to have much to do with me. Yeah. To be honest with you, they were just done because, you know, I, I was constantly getting in trouble and I didn't learn. Right. It just continued on. And then now this is the big one. Yeah, this was the big one. If you would have told me, <laughs> me going out that night. That you would have I been. I wouldn't re- return for five plus years. Yeah. I would have said you're crazy. So when it gets down to sentencing, uh, do you know what you're getting? He was working with the prosecutor. That's why I kept going to court. Yeah. He's like, we got to catch him on the right day, you know. So it was like any other court date. I'm shackled up, yeah, sitting there in the bullpen, and uh, he comes over. He goes, "Hey, I got seven years times five. He said, "All run concurrent." He said, "Your first time down, going to prison, you'll only do twenty percent." Mm-hmm. He said, "We need to take this today." Mm-hmm. I said, "Okay." 
And so I was sentenced to seven years times five with the five felony charges. Well, let's, I want to go back a little bit with that nine months in county jail. How, what was your world like? How did you survive the day-to-day of county? County was pretty pretty rough because you can't go outside. Yeah. Um, limited phone privileges. Uh, I read a lot of books, did a lot of push-ups. Yeah. Um, anything to keep, I, I volunteered for work. Yeah. Inside, I was sweeping, mopping floors just to try to stay busy. Right. Violence? Yeah, there was quite a few violent uh, uh, acts that I've seen in uh, in the county. Um, I got into it once in the county. Mm-hmm. Uh, got thrown in the hole for a fight. Um, you know, guy trying to steal something from me, and you know, you can't let that happen. So, no, it's uh, we've talked about this a lot on on this show. Is that the the county jail is in the system of being locked up? It's the bottom of the barrel. It was the worst. And it, it's, uh, it's, I think it's hard to explain because I, I had six days and they were the longest six days, you know, and I was, I had this in the middle of my, I, w- I had been at Leavenworth f- for a year and a half and our civil trial started and I got brought back and I was out at Warrington and, and uh, so I had been in prison first and right. I, I was, every day I was like, I can't wait. I, I, to get back to Leavenworth Prison, if that's not a crazy statement, <laughs> but it was uh, it was so different and and you know so transitory and and you had all types and and for people in there for DWI and somebody might have killed somebody and it's just you never know you know what's going to happen around the corner you know the, the next well, minute. I was in the I was in the wing in county with all the people looking at serious serious yeah. time. Yeah, you know, fifteen years plus. Murderers, you know, rapists, uh, you know, really hardcore. When you said a seven plus five, what does that mean? So I got five sentences. Uh, each case was seven years. Okay. So five charges. Right. Uh, seven years on each charge, and they ran those concurrent, concurrently. Concurrent, so they the seven years would take care of all five. Got it. Yeah. So you're living with that, and. Um, I'm. I was thinking when you take off from the county jail, you're taking a bus somewhere, right? Yeah, I took a bus right to Diagnostic. In, yeah, uh, Fonterra, Missouri. What was that like? That was like county. It yeah. was locked down to 22 hours a day because um, you're getting processed. Mm-hmm. Um, when I got to a prison yard, I I felt like a freedom. Sure. Well, you probably hadn't been outside for a while. Yeah, I mean, it's like you're and you're free to move. Yeah. Went to Moberly Correctional yeah. Center, and you know, they had a weight room, handball courts, basketball courts. Um, the first day in Moberly, though, I got into a fight. How'd that go? <laughs> I, actually, my second day there. Okay. Um, I went to the canteen. Because uh, the, the, the interesting thing about this is, Mike, you, you didn't go in just cold to prison. You went to a county jail for nine or ten months, so you – as horrible as that is, you had been conditioned a little bit to know what kind of you're walking into yeah, a little, little bit. A little bit. Well, county, you don't interact too much yeah. with people. But, I mean, prison, you have to. You're living there. That's your neighborhood. It's your home. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the second day I went to the canteen, I loaded up. I'm like, I'm going to make this as comfortable as I can. I mm-hmm. came back with a big old sack of groceries. Mm-hmm. Um, 
TV, you mm-hmm. know, all the it's little the new guy. Yeah, the little things. <laughs> so I was a target. Yeah. Walking into the housing unit. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget, there was uh, four or five guys playing cards at the little table in the day room. So your housing unit, was it just a big open area, bunk beds, locker, it your was chair? Individual cells. Okay. Uh, with a top and a bottom. Okay. You know, row. Yeah. With doors. So. <coughs> so it's two, two, two man, two man cell? Yeah, two okay. man cell. Okay. Um, so yeah, I come back from the canteen and, and the first, I walk in the door, I'm going up to the top walk and this guy they called Fat Joe, <laughs> he yells, hey, new guy, I'll uh. be up to get your stuff here in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't think you'd bought that for him. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, here we go. <laughs> so I go in, talk, you know, talk to my cellie. He's like, yeah, he's going to try to take Fat stuff. Joe wants your stuff. Yeah, he's like, he mm-hmm. takes everybody's stuff. Mm-hmm. That's why he's fat. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, he was very large. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, about 20 minutes later, I'm on the standing on the top walk, and I see him coming. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my the celly that I had was an older guy. He'd done 20-plus years, so he, he's like, look, he goes, put all your stuff under your bunk. Mm-hmm. You're going to be going to the hole. Mm-hmm. I'm like, man, I don't want to go to the hole. Right. I no. just got here. Yeah, I don't like the hole. I've been locked up. Right. You know, County's like the hole. Mm-hmm. You know, diagnostic is like the hole. Yeah. He's like, well, if you don't fight them, then you're going to be a target. You're going to be that guy. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, he said, you better boot up. So he came up to my door. I opened the door and, I mean, just first thing, just blasted him. And uh, I don't know. It's just like a blur. You know, I jumped on top of him. Next thing I know, the cert team's, you know, rushing in, mm-hmm. macing me and yeah. handcuffing me, taking me to the hole. How I started, but you know, after that, how long did they put you in the hole? Uh, seven days, which wasn't that's quite an entry into prison. Yeah, it wasn't terrible. Yeah, but, uh, uh, it was no fun. Was your stuff there when you got back? Yeah, okay. They took the stuff to the property room, and when I got okay. out, when I got out, I got all my stuff. That's I mean, good. My my celly was cool, right? You know? And you weren't going to be that guy that, that they take stuff from, which you know, in a primitive world, living in that, you you have to make sure that you aren't taking advantage of, and, and it, that's it's that primitive. Well, I was kind of freaking out after the fight because I hadn't seen the parole board yet. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, when you see the parole board, they give you a date. Mm-hmm. You know, this whole time I'm thinking I'm doing 20%. Mm-hmm. So I'm counting my months. I'm like, well. It's your good time and everything else. Counting time, yeah. 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 I said, well, I'll be out of here in six, mo- six eight months. That's yeah. what I thought. But, uh I'm like, oh no! Now I got a, a number two assault on mm. my on my prison record, and it's not good. And and but uh, after I got out of the hole, I had no issues. Yeah, everybody left me alone. What about Fat Joe? How was he after that? I never saw him again. Never saw him again. Never saw him. This wasn't an issue. No, no, never saw. So him he had a good celly. Yeah, had a good celly. He kind of introduced you to the world. Yeah, he did. He looked out for me. So living in that world, you know you're not going to be there for a week, a month. It's just not a you know a bad camp. You can't get out summer you know summer camp and you get to go home. You're going to be there for years. Uh, what was your like? What were you thinking? Like what was going through your head? What am I going to do for the next whatever? Well, I mean, my life changed um, actually when I saw the parole board mm-hmm. because I'm I'm thinking by then when I saw I was still at Moberly. When I saw the parole board, um, 
I pretty much had enough time to satisfy to my be minimum. done with that twenty percent. Correct. Okay. That was my minimum mandatory. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm thinking I'm going to get an immediate outdate. Yeah. So I'll, I'll never forget this. I'm six weeks later. I'm sitting in my cell and I get mail, Department of Probation and Parole. So I'm sitting on my bunk, um, and I opened it up and it said, "Your schedule to be released from confinement in 2013." And it was not early 2010 at that time. Oh, so I got, I'm like, I got all 2010, 11, 12, and most of 13. That's four more years. Four years. And I lost it. Yeah. You know, they CR'd me basically. Uh, that's a conditional release, 66%. Yeah. What did that really because of the fight? Or did they just take everything into account and say, we're just going to kind of throw the book at him and well, they, have him stay in it for a while? They said, you know, all the multiple. Felonies yeah. I had, and they said, you should have been locked up a long time ago. We're going to make it up right here. Right. They said, you're a danger to society. And looking back, I probably agree with them. Yeah. You know, I didn't like to hear it at the time. No. But. Uh, How'd you take that? I shut down. Yeah. You know. then Prison's I started, a bad place to shut down, too. Yeah. I, I mean, I started, I got angry. Yeah. Um, I, I started doing all kinds of stuff running a sports ticket, mm-hmm. uh, gambling, uh, you know, just trying to keep my mind occupied. Becoming part of the prison world environment. I'm like, I'm going to be here for yeah four plus years, so I better settle in and yeah. do something. Did you have a prison job? I did. Um, you know, you got. I worked in the kitchen yeah. at that particular camp. So as you go along um, and getting – into this world, you're doing things. Did, did things change for you in any way? Things changed. Um, I guess I, it was about two years prior to my release. Uh, I'll never forget this. Um, I always believed in God, mm-hmm. you know, when I was growing up. I was raised Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I walked away from God. Um, but I started reading the Bible. I was in the hole under investigation, okay? Um I was accused of moving some drugs on the institution, mm-hmm. which this time I actually was not good for. Yeah. They don't care. Right. So I was in the hole for, man, four months, four or five months. It's a long time. Yeah. And it was Christmas Eve. And I got some mail, you know, from my family. And I seen all my nieces and nephews growing up and yeah. pictures. And now, had you been in contact and visits and stuff along this time period? With them? My brothers and sisters. Because um, you have a twin sister. Yeah. She, yeah. she came to see me, I think, twice. Yeah. Uh, my mom came to see me quite a few times. Yeah. But that was my older sister and older brother were, were pretty upset with me. Just kind of shut the book on you. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. So it was it was Christmas Eve, and you know, I'm reading this mail, and I just, something came over me. Um, I, and I just, I cried out to God. I don't want to live like this anymore. You know, mm. God, please help me through this. You know, I'll do my part. And that was kind of a different type of prayer. That I, you know, I usually prayed for, get me out of this, God. But mm-hmm. this time I was kind of willing to do I'll do work. what I need to do. Right. I'll take on my responsibility. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. That's powerful. Um, and do you think it was 
seeing all those family pictures and seeing people growing up and thinking I'm not part of that? Yeah, I felt like a failure. Yeah. I felt like that I was missing life. I think it's always fascinating when people hit a rock bottom moment because because I had a rock bottom moment too. And I, I think it's, you got one or two ways to go. You you go all the way down and never come back or that becomes a new beginning for you. And it's always, I think, um, you know, I, I don't know what that is because there's plenty of people that hit a rock bottom moment and they never come back. And there's a whole thing of books being written and people talking about their stories of hitting a rock bottom moment and they somehow, it lights a fire to change. But it sounds like, it sounds like you kind of just reach the depths of, I don't like where I'm at. I'm tired of myself. Right. I, I don't did. like this anymore. I've done this up to this point and I, I'm not good with it. Yeah. It just, like you said, it was rock bottom. You know, I just, I looked at myself in the mirror. Yeah. I just hated myself. I'm like, this is what my life has come to. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here on Christmas. Right. In prison. In prison. In the hole. In the hole. And I'm looking at family photos. Yeah. Um, you know, I should be part of this. Right. So you, that happens. Um, how do you start taking steps that are different than the steps you'd taken? Well, when I was released out of the hole, you know, I got back in, and I actually signed up for treatment on my own. Okay. Department of Corrections. Yeah. Treatment and work release. Okay. So, and I just stopped doing everything I was doing. I stopped associating with all the people in yeah. there that were no good. Yeah. You know, that were. What'd they think? I mean, they didn't. They just uh, said, whatever. Flaherty's doing his thing. Right. Yeah. You know, Flaherty's cool. You know, mm-hmm. Let him be. Yeah. So I got transferred shortly there afterwards, and I finally made it to a work release mm-hmm. uh, camp, which uh, I worked for MoDOT for approximately a year. Which would be on, out on the highways and doing yep. work on the outside. I was on the tree, the tree crew. Yeah. Or, and it was down in southeast Missouri. Yeah. So they would take us out. and We'd cut trees down on the sides of the highways. And yeah. A lot of people don't know that that goes on. Oh, yeah. You know, when you, you um, watch the movie Shawshank Redemption, you know, the, the, the warden's got the guys out doing all the stuff and whatever. They're like, ah, it's just a movie. No, that, that actually goes on. Yeah, that, that happens. <laughs> that's, that's a real deal. <laughs> and they're paying these guys, you know, 2 or $3 a day, and they're doing uh, real work that they'd be paying a union person to do, you know, doing that stuff. What, how did that feel being out and doing that on MoDOT? It felt like freedom. Yeah. Until you went back to the institution. You go back to the prison. You got strip searched, and then yeah, the reality feels, Reality in. does set in. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's the weirdest feeling. I had the same thing. I had a job uh, eventually after a year and a half being in that I would go and work and then come back. And it was like, I'm going back to prison. And then right. I get to leave tomorrow, but I go back to prison at night. It's very strange. It was, I mean, MoDA worked us too. Yeah. I mean, $9 a day. They got, they got, their got a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. Middle of summer, you know, you're in full chaps. Yeah, you know, long sleeves. I mean, you're you're hanging over over a truck. Yeah. You know, so when you and- when you went, Mike, to that, you know, you went from one prison to the other prison because uh, it's never any good to travel when you're in prison, but because you kind of get set up. Was it was it good for you to move? Was it good for you to get to another place and this even more of a fresh start for you? Yeah, I think it was good. The places I was in, just they, I was ready to go. 
Yeah. You know, the people, especially after I, I explained that when I, when I started, you know, putting my faith back into God, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the people yeah. didn't have the luster they had before. Yeah. You know, so I was glad. I mean, I was like a blessing going to work release. And the guys in work release, so you, did you make friendships there? And, and yeah. was it, yeah. Yeah, I made several, several friendships um, in the work release. Um, and uh, guys that I, I remained in contact with when I was released. Yeah. Yeah, no, short, that's for a short time. Right. You know. Well, then your life gets going and you think, you know, these guys that you're with every day, all day, every day, you, you think you're going to be with them for life and then you get back. So, so you get through this work release and so you, you're thinking about, you know, you're getting close to the door of freedom. What do you start thinking? Well, I mean, I, when I, when I got through with the work release, I got picked up and taken to Maryville Treatment Center. Okay. Which is all the way up. Like in almost to the Iowa, yeah, Nebraska top of Missouri border, yeah, yeah. Um, so and it was pretty intense. What was that like? Uh, the bus ride was a nightmare. I'm sure. I mean, there was a layover in Jeff City for hours. I mean, you're shackled the whole time. Yeah, you know, your your wrists are purple. Yeah, you know, and they put a little box on your feet. You know, I mean, it's very. It, it was miserable. Mm. I mean, it was like I, this trip to Maryville is never going to end. Yeah. But uh, once I got up to Maryville, it was, it was a different type of treatment, too. Um, it was kind of an accountability. Yeah, I was wondering if you could walk us through that, because I've, I've heard people talk, but I'm not sure if I really know what that's like, that uh, the, the treatment part of how they do it. It was a more of a behavior yeah. modification, yeah. which I wasn't aware of. Yeah. You know, I, I was always able to. Like rational thinking, behavior models, that type of thing. Criminal thinking. Yes, um, yeah. You know, they wake you up at 5 o'clock in the morning, uh -huh. and the rest of the day you cannot lay on your bunk. Yeah, it's like you a cult. To, yeah, you have to make your bunk. Yeah. You know, they have a, they have a program in the federal system called RDAP where you have a nine-month program that's a lot, much, much like that. And they, they've they, you go through workbooks and, and all the rational thinking behavior. But I don't actually think it's bad. I think actually that, that thinking and that mind modeling – of, of being aware of how you do things and how you think probably should be taught in school. Yeah. I mean, they, they went pretty far. They, they would have, uh, they had families. So there was a, you know, a chain. Mm -hmm. uh, there was family president all the way down to secretary. There was all, there was a structure. Yeah. Um, that's what they were trying to do. Build structure, mm -hmm. you know, structure, accountability, responsibility. Exactly. Yeah. Um, we were, Required to tell, you know, to to tell on people. Yeah, nobody likes that because responsible. You, yeah, they called it. Yeah, you don't like that. They called them pull-ups in RDAP, and that's and, what it was. And nobody likes that because snitching is is uh, like the very bottom rung of where <laughs> what people think in prison. But if you're in this program, you have no choice. Yeah, I mean, you had to do it. Yeah, I got pulled up for not snitching. Right. And I got put in front of the family, and yeah. Everybody yelled at me. And, yeah, you know, said I was a piece of crap. Uh -huh. Get a little hazing. Oh yeah, they, I mean it was it was hard to get used to, but there was a lot of one on one counseling, which was good. That part of it, um, plenty of AA, NA. Yeah. So I, I took care. I took advantage of all that. How long was the program? Six months. So you were in there for six months. Yeah. yeah. So do you go? How does that work? So when you get done with the program, are you are you released? Yeah, I. You know, originally I thought I would get a little bit of play. 
on my out date. Yeah. But I did the same amount of time. No matter what. Right. So what what was, now that you've gone through this program, you kind of got a structure and you've kind of gone through some hazing, and but you've, you've, they've probably put structure in your life of, uh, what were you thinking as, as far as stepping out into, you know, society again? I mean, I was, I was ready to just get out of prison. Yeah. I was ready to see, you know, my, my friends, family. Um, uh, yeah. What'd you step out to? What was like, who, who picked you up and then where'd you go? Um, my aunt. Okay. Actually took me in. Okay. Um, you know, my family was, the trust was. Yeah. They were still, still trying to build that back, bridge that over. Yeah. Um, the, the, the night I got released at one o'clock in the morning. Maryville. That's odd. I live in St. Louis. One o'clock in the morning. Yeah, they put me on a bus and took me to KCI. Yeah. The airport. Flew back to St. Louis? Flew back to St. Louis. Um, Back then, I think the plane ticket was 90, 95 bucks. Yeah. But uh, I was in the airport all night long. That had to be weird. That was wild. You know, I got a cup of Starbucks coffee, and I mean, it was like... This is freedom. I mean, I was in well, yeah, because I mean, you kind of get sensory overload, right? Yeah, it was. It was everything was moving fast. I mean, f- only five years being gone. Yeah, a lot of things had changed. What do you think was the biggest change from you being going in and coming out? Just the the technology. Yeah. For one. Yeah. Um, you know, and just I don't. I, I guess I didn't remember how fast things move. Cause yeah. In, in prison, things move so slow. It's like slow motion. Yeah. I mean, they're on their Literally. own time. And everything's by a structured time limit. Yeah. I mean, the only thing we had to do in prison is go to our job. Yeah. And be counted. And be counted. <laughs> Stand up for count, and you can go back to sleep. Exactly. So, yeah. So I, I got I got back to St. Louis, um, and shockingly, um, my sister, mm-hmm. my twin, my older sister, and my brother, my aunt, and my mom greeted me when I got off the plane. Mm. So that was a, a really good feeling. I bet it was. So your aunt takes you, which is a huge thing, because you and I were talking about this before we even started the, the interview. I mean, having somebody to come out to and have support is so huge. I mean, the, you know, the, to the people that don't have that, I don't know how they make it right. without somebody helping them, a helping hand, because it's so hard to get back into the world. So what? how did you get back into the world? Um, when I got out, uh, the first couple of weeks... I was kind of scared. Yeah. You know, um, um, people were calling mm-hmm. and they found out uh, I got the same cell phone number, which probably was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, all the same people could call. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, the word got out. Yeah. St. Louis, small. Smallest big town. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there are people blowing me up. You know, what are you doing, Flaherty? You know, what's uh-huh. going on? I got a package for you. Yeah. You know, a little welcome home packet. I'm like, I don't want. Mm-hmm. anything yeah you know i'm good so it was funny because i met rick mm-hmm. and that's when things started to change because i was kind of like weighing out what i wanted to do do i want to go back into real estate sure uh do i want to do some kind of say i didn't know what i was going to do yeah i didn't have a plan mm-hmm. for like employment right so my sister has a ministry um where she helps uh she was doing a Hispanic outreach in Chesterfield. Yeah. They owned some trailers, and Rick actually volunteered some of his services to her, you know. And they got to talking, and he gave Terry, my sister, his business card. Okay. 
and she's like constructing futures. What is what does that mean? Yeah. And he goes, Oh, well, I help guys that are coming out of prison. She goes, Really? <laughs> My brother just got out two weeks ago. Yeah. And so he goes, Rick got excited immediately. You know, he's like, Well, what's he doing? She's like, well, he's trying to figure it out. Yeah. You know, and so. Is Terry your twin sister? That's my older Older sister. sister. Got it. Yeah. So he's like, here's my number. You know, have him call me. And so, you know, I waited a couple days. You know, I was like, ah, do I really want to call this guy? Yeah. So, yeah, I called him, and we started talking. Um, and I realized he liked to play golf. Yeah. I'm a diehard golfer. Yeah. You know, the guys that I used to play golf with, I wasn't playing with anymore. Right. You know, because there was a lot of a lot cocktails. of extracurricular yeah. after that. Yeah. yeah so or during it. And so yeah, Rick and I played golf and he uh he said, Are you in AA? I said, Yeah, I went to a lot of AA meetings. Yeah. He said, Do you have a sponsor? I said, No. So did he become your sponsor? He became my oh, sponsor. Oh, I did I did not know that. Okay. Yeah, he became my sponsor. Um and shortly thereafter I started to work for him. You know, we became Friends, I yeah. played golf. He was my sponsor, my boss. Yeah. Um, the work, when I was, the first year I was out of prison was pretty difficult. You know, I didn't have a driver's license, didn't have a vehicle. And Rick was doing houses up in North County. Yeah. And my aunt, you know, I was staying with in Kirkwood. So I would have to take the bus. And Rick wanted me to, his one of his sayings was, I want you to chop the wood mm-hmm. before you can feel the heat. Do the work. Because yeah. he could have picked me up. I sure. Mean, he was Come yeah. past me, but he's like, I want you to take the bus. I want you to learn Feel some it. humility. Yeah. yeah. And he goes, like, if you can prove that for a while, we'll work out, you know, other things. So, I mean, it was two and a half hours one way. Mm. You know, All the stops. Metrolink trains, yeah. multiple buses. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And that was every day. Two and a half hours there, two and a half hours home. But you stayed committed to it. I did because I – did not want to go back to prison. Yeah. And I looked at Rick as like, this guy's been out of prison for 25 yeah. years. Whatever he's doing is probably working. Yeah. You know, so I should probably listen. I need to try something different. My way clearly didn't work. Yeah. So. Well, that's a great thing about mentors, though, is, you know, if you find somebody that's getting it right and you know that's working for them, then, it, you know, you can just plug it in. And implement it because you know, already know that it's working for him. And if you stay on that track, then then it can work. Yeah, I was like, I'm just gonna do everything he yeah, suggests. Yeah, follow that lead. Yeah, and Rick really cared. Yeah, I, mean, I could tell he had a passion for helping guys. Um, so yeah, I mean, but you know, the first year was rough, but my life continued after the first year. I started to get better. Yeah, you know, started to make more money, and eventually I got you know a vehicle. Which I bet felt such a, like a relief of a big deal. I'm like, now I know why Rick insisted <laughs> I take that bus and all those trains. Yeah. I mean, I can remember one day specifically when I'm standing at the bus stop, you know, walking down from the house we are working on, and it's cold, it's pouring down rain. Mm. Rick drives past me and waves. <laughs> oh, <home>. man. <laughs> that is tough love. He told me. He said, that broke my heart to do that. Oh, man. Well, I think what you guys are doing is, uh, you know, I get a, I get one of the great things about doing this show is I get so many different opportunities to find people that are doing really good things and constructing futures. You know, if, if we had something like that in every city, you know, you guys are taking 
in a lot of cases, blighted homes and fixing them up with people who need an opportunity, like a real opportunity. You're, you're teaching them a trade and, um, and it improves the look of the places wherever you are. So it's, it's a, it's a fantastic idea. And, and, you know, I told uh, Rick this when, when he was on talking about stuff, you know, everybody's got great ideas. But the fact that you guys are taking action with it, and it's not easy. I mean, you know, you, you know, the people you're working with, you don't know if they're committed. Some of them aren't. Um, right. But, you know, the wins that you get off the ones that you're helping, I mean, it's it can change their life. Yeah, we've seen, we've had a lot, we've had several that have had success that have moved on. Um, we had a guy that became an electrician. Yeah. Um, another guy that went to work for UPS. You know, our main thing is, yeah, the constructions, we, we have to do construction. Yeah. You know, we have to pay the bills. Right. But we're more in it for the mentoring. Thing. Exactly. You know, mentoring them to see, just as, as Rick did with you. Yeah, I mean, now I do the same thing. Exactly. It's pretty cool to be able to give back. And that's what, you know, a lot of the big reason I, I st- I've stayed sober. Yeah, because that fills you up. Exactly. That becomes your passion. I, I, I so get that. I, I mean, it makes sense to me. If, if you were thinking, Mike, about all this stuff that you've been through, because um, I mean you went through some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, what do you think? Because I know you know I know faith is a big deal for you and and family and that. But what do you what would be the thing to our listeners out that you would impart to them about your journey? What you've sent out to them? I would probably tell them that no matter how hard or how uphill of a battle you're facing, that God, if you trust and you actually believe in your heart and your mind, he'll see you through anything. You make it. I mean, last summer, um, my 15-year-old niece got killed in a boating accident. Mm. You know, a freak thing at Table Rock Lake. Mm. Um, My twin sister's little baby. Yeah. And it's me, horrible. And that, me and that little girl were so close. And I mean, if it weren't for my faith and that would have been the, the thing that would have pushed you. That could have sent me right back. Yeah. You know, on a down downward spiral. But uh, you know, with surround yourself with good people. Yeah. I mean that's what I that's what I that was the best decision I made. Yeah. Was going to work for Rick. Um, Amazing how that happened. Your sister meets Rick. He's helping her out. He starts talking about what he's doing, and then she's like, "Well, hey, you need to talk to my brother." I mean, things worked out for me when I was actually obedient, yeah, you know, to God and faithful. Yeah, you know? uh, my way. Well, <laughs> got me in you went you went a long ways with your way, though. <laughs> it, it worked for, I thought it worked. <laughs> well, I think it's a great story, and you know what I think is great about the story is is that you willed yourself to find a better way. You get tired of what you were doing and you made it work. And, and that's a lot about what this, this show's about is, is that, you know, don't give up on yourself. Don't, you know, that you, you can will yourself through and it's not easy. You know, the, the thing of it is, if you step out of your comfort zone and get into that weird stuff that, that makes you feel nervous and fearful and scary and all that, that's not easy, but you'll find that you can kind of walk through it if you stay with it. Right. And and you stayed with it, and that's what's that's real. It's really cool about your story. Yeah, I mean, every day I get to 
you know, basically, you know, testify to to, to men. Mm-hmm. Most of these that need men, it. That need it. Yeah. Desperately. Yeah. So, and you know what the the thing that that you know thinking about it, you you pretty much earned a diploma on your experience, your journey that you've been through, and you went through basically enough to be a professional through the treatment and everything else that you learned to be able to really give these guys good advice. Yeah, I mean, I was like them. Yeah. So they can. But that makes relate. it more believable. You're yeah. not you're not some professor that's come out and said, hey. I've read this book, and this is what you guys need to do. You can actually talk the talk. You've walked the walk, and it's so much more believable that way. Well, I think that's what what's, what gave me hope. Is when yeah. I met, when I met Rick, and I'm like, man, this guy, he seems to have it all together. Mm-hmm. You know, for being an ex-con. Yeah. You know, and I was just out. I didn't know what direction my life was yeah. going to go. Um, and, I mean, he gave me hope. But you were open to it too. You know, that's, I think that's another tip to give people that are listening is, is that you also could have been given that name and said, nah, I'm not ready for it. I've yeah. just gotten out. I don't know if I'm, 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 I'm not ready yet. Yeah. I'm going to weigh my options. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you could have missed that whole opportunity. Absolutely. But you gave him a call and, and, and the rest is history. Yeah. And what I got out of it is like a best friend. Yeah. Um, that's why it's a great story. Yeah. We go to Chiefs games. Yeah. Season, play a lot of season, golf. Season tickets, yeah, play <laughs> golf. I never thought when I got out of prison my life would be so good today. Yeah. And I would have everything I needed. Man, you know? that's a great way to end it right there. I love that. You would have never thought that it is what it is today, but you walk through it all and you are where you are, and it's the good stuff. You're getting the good stuff back. I love it. Absolutely. Uh, folks, for um, – those out there that are looking for a book, I actually wrote one. It's called Nightmare Success. You can pick it up um, at Barnes & Noble, um, Amazon. You can go to Amazon. Even they're selling at Walmart. Um, leave a review if you got a chance on Spotify, Apple. It just puts the, the show on steroids. If you just take the time, go to my page, scroll down, and uh, it says write a review. You don't have to say much. Just, just say something. Uh, and... Uh, Go to brentcassie.com, and uh, I love going back and forth with people there. On Leave me a message if you can. Like I said, share the show. If, if you got anything out of this, share it with somebody. It maybe could help them. As I used to say when I was uh, going back and forth uh, with my emails in prison, stay strong. I'll do the same. Nightmare success in and out. Mike Flaherty, thank you, man. Appreciate your story. Thanks for having me, Brent. Talk to you all later.